Welcome to worship this morning. Guests and visitors, welcome uh, as well. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 135, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 135, verses 1 through 3. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verses 6, through uh, Colossians 3, verse 4. Colossians 2, verse 6. Through chapter 3, verse 4. Hear the word of our Lord. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, and whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from which all the body by joints and bands have having nourishment ministered, And knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the doctrines, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and in neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Have you ever been to downtown Grand Rapids on a Friday or Saturday evening? If you have, perhaps you've seen a group of people down there dressed kind of strangely. 
They have large billboards. They have pictures over these billboards. They're making different claims, claiming that Jesus was African, that, that they are the lost ten tribes of Israel. Perhaps you've, you've seen them. And these are the black, what they call themselves, the black Hebrew Israelites. They incorporate a mixture of Judaism and, and Christianity into their false teaching. And they present themselves as the true people of God. You often find them in the Rosa Park Circle area. They use quite a, a aggressive tactics and will not hesitate to claim that they are a superior people. They hold to strict dietary laws. They, they take on Hebrew names and, and they are in fact prone to some pretty extremist views. Now it must be noted though there are some similarities here with Christianity they are not Christians. And those that join with them are being led into a false religion where there is no hope of salvation. Now if we journey back a couple centuries to a different part of the world, to what is now a Turkey, we'll come across the Colossian Christians. And they face something very similar in their town. They face a similar cult, a, a cult that we don't really know much about, but we can gather a few things from Scripture about what this sect, what this cult actually taught. They too adopted a mixture of Jewish and, and Christian teachings, and they possibly incorporated some pagan beliefs into their teaching as well. And it seems from what Paul writes us that they too were quite aggressive in their tactics, trying to convince the Christians that they needed to adopt these same views that they held. And this rattled the new Christians. It started to raise doubts in some of them. Should they be doing these same things? They started to ask themselves, are we being unfaithful to the Lord by not doing them? They looked at these people and they thought, they seem really pious, they seem really spiritual. Perhaps we should be observing these same rules, these same laws that they were. Well, Paul hears of this. And he writes to them, he writes to them this, this letter, this epistle to the Colossians to, to reassure them and to urge them to only follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to explore how we too must be careful not to become sidetracked from the gospel by legalism, not to become distracted from the gospel by human-made laws and ordinances, but to set our mind and hearts on things above, namely upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text is Colossians 2, verse 16, through Colossians 3, verse 4. And we see here Paul instructing the Colossian church to, to persevere in true faith, to not become entangled in the legalism of false teachers. Our sermon is titled, The Substance of Real Religion, and our first point is a question. The ordinances of men, or our second point, the person and work of Christ. Now, if we look back a couple verses in Colossians 2, we see, we looked at this last time a few weeks ago, we see that the Colossian Christians were being pressured to become circumcised. 
The false teachers were telling them that it was right and necessary for them to be physically circumcised. Well, Paul wrote them, if you remember, that this was unnecessary, considering that Christ had fulfilled circumcision, and that therefore, because of him, they were now circumcised in their hearts. And there was no reason for them to be physically circumcised. Now Paul reveals in these verses that they were also being told that they needed to follow certain dietary laws as well as celebrate a series of festivals and Sabbaths. We see this in verse 16 where Paul writes, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of unholy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is Christ. The false teachers were trying to impress upon the consciousness of the Colossians that it was necessary that they obey these laws, that they obey dietary laws, and that they observe holy days. And many of these laws would have been a part of the old covenant under Moses. But it seems that this cult not only was Endorsing the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. But they were adding new laws. New laws on top of this. And we know this because of what Paul says here. Paul says they were being judged in meat and drink. Well we have many dietary laws. According to what we eat. Related to us in the Old Testament. But there's there's very few about drinking. In fact... We only see it in a couple places where the law stipulates that those who have taken a Nazarite vow and the priests, when they're carrying out their priestly duties, do not drink strong drink. So this indicates to us here that this cult in Colossae is is adding even more upon God's Old Testament ceremonial law. One commentator weighs in. He says, some of these prohibitions were doubtless reenactments of the Mosaic law, while others would be exaggerations or additions to a rigorous asceticism, including the avoidance of oil, wine, meat, the shunning of contact with those from another religion. So what the Colossians faced, what the Colossian Christians faced, they faced a religious sect that was was adding laws even upon the Old Testament law and pressing upon them, pressuring them to adopt these principles as well. They were pressuring them to become more ascetic in their practices. What this this means, children, is they were pressuring them to to deny themselves, to deny their bodies, They're asking them to adopt a set of religious rules in their lives to to make themselves more acceptable to God. They're asking them probably to avoid cooking with oil, to not eat meat, to, to avoid drinking wine. And they were probably even telling them to avoid contact with people outside of their religion and maybe to even refrain from marriage. Now the Christians in Colossae, they have believed in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're now being told, they're now being told, this isn't enough. They're now being told that they need to act in a way that conforms to the ideas of this sect. But Paul makes clear to them that they should not do this. In previous verses in in Colossians 2, Paul tells them that they have received the Lord Jesus Christ. He encourages them to walk in Christ, to be rooted and, and built up in Him, to be established in their faith, abounding in thanksgiving because of what Christ has done. Paul doesn't come to them 
prescribing a list of laws relating to their appearance or what they choose to eat or drink. He doesn't create new laws for them, telling them to celebrate certain holy days. Rather, he says, to not let others judge them. Don't let the legalistic qualifications of others be the criteria, he's telling them, by which to examine your faith and to examine your salvation. He tells them that they have been circumcised in Christ. They have been buried with him in baptism. They have been raised with him through faith. They have been regenerated by his spirit. Their sins have been forgiven. And their debt canceled. So therefore, what Paul is telling them is, Don't follow after these things. Don't diminish the work of Jesus Christ. Don't work against what he's done by adding works and the doctrines of men as conditions to your faith. We see what Paul calls these requirements. What he calls these laws that the sect has brought. He calls it the commandments and doctrines of men. And it must be noted that some of the rules that they were endorsing, some of the commandments they were saying, find their source in the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. So the question arises, why would Paul tell the Colossian Christians that these rules are not necessary for them to follow? Why would he teach them not to do these things? After all, these were commandments that the Lord gave to the Old Testament church. Well, the very simple answer is that Jesus came. Jesus has come. He has fulfilled these ceremonial laws. He has done what was foreshadowed in the ceremonial law. He has fulfilled them. The Lamb of God has come and been slaughtered once for all His people. His blood has been shed so that no more animal's blood needs to be shed. He has made what was unclean, clean. There's no more need for these regulations. Paul tells us what these are. He he tells us here, he says that these ordinances were a shadow of things to come. They served as a shadow that outlined the reality. The Old Testament ceremonial law pointed forward and It alluded to the coming Savior. These laws were a shadow, a shadow that that found its essence, its substance in Christ. And should these Christians in Colossae, should they not be following Christ instead of his shadow? When you're waiting for a person to arrive, for a short instance, you sometimes see their shadow before they actually arrive. Their shadow shows their nearness. It reveals a distorted outline of the person. But it isn't actually the real person. The shadow builds anticipation for this person's arrival. But it becomes of of no importance once the person actually arrives. With the person in the room, the shadow loses its allure. And it becomes worthless. A shadow can be like a picture. It represents something real, but it isn't the real thing. What would you rather have? A picture? A picture of a loved one? Or would you actually rather have that that loved one present with you so that you can talk with them, so that you can build a relationship with them? If they're with you, a picture of them has very little significance because you have the real person with you. 
So when false teachers on earth and bring back or they create new religious rules, laws that Christ has fulfilled, rules that distract the Christian from Christ, these may serve as a shadow of the reality, but they're of no use when the reality is right there with you. And it must be noted that what is going on here, the legalism that is, is occurring here, these aren't God's rules and commands for his people. But they're what Paul calls the commands and doctrines of legalistic men. There's no need for them. The Lord doesn't demand that they be kept. They are merely the legalistic decrees of a flesh mind. Now, we do not face the same legalistic pressures as the Colossian Christians. But that doesn't mean that we must not guard our hearts. It doesn't mean that we don't have to be careful for if we don't have our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ... If we're not examining our hearts and examining our lives, we can also very quickly become legalistic, following the commands and doctrines of men. And if we head down this road, the road of adding commandments and doctrines of men to our religion, we will quickly find out that this road has no end. Once we start doing this, one rule will lead to another, and we will quickly find ourselves swallowed up by a host of man-made rules and regulations. Calvin says, when men have once taken this upon them, there is no end of the new laws daily added to new ones and of new regulations always springing up. This was true in Colossae. This is true of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had many laws that they followed, laws that they developed over time and eventually compiled into this large book of laws. And if we know our hearts, if we have a right understanding of who we are, we see the legalist, we see the Pharisee that still dwells within us. And if we're not grounded in the gospel, if we're not grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can very quickly begin to add additional requirements to what has been done by Christ. Even coming to the point of creating our own laws in the vain hope that by keeping them, we can somehow earn acceptance with God. We create rules that we think lead to true piety. Rules that aren't found in Scripture. We find that they don't actually grow us as Christians. But they do feed our spiritual pride. We aren't finding our hope and joy in Christ. So we make ourselves feel better. And we begin comparing ourselves to other Christians. We don't carry out this comparison based upon biblical principles. We don't rightly examine ourselves, but we look for the beam in our brother's eyes. We examine ourselves according to our, our own created laws, and we conclude that we are more deserving of God's favor. We are a better Christian than our brothers and sisters that are around us. We must guard our hearts so that we don't develop the spiritual pride. We must examine our hearts to discern if we hold to anything other than the person and work of Christ as our foundation of salvation. For it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we find acceptance with God. We earn no part of our justification and we earn no part of our sanctification through our legalistic practices. 
if there is any law, if there is any precept, any rule of life that we add to the perfect work of Christ, it is an abomination to him. It works against the gospel and brings us again into bondage to the law. In fact, according to Paul, it defrauds or beguiles you of your reward. It cheats you of your treasure. It robs you of your assurance of Christ and the joy of your salvation. Paul writes here, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And not holding the head, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Paul warns the Colossians here of those who would impose their legalistic teaching upon them. He says they will appear with false humility and spirituality. Claiming a familiarity with angels. Praying to angels out of a false humility instead of praying to the Lord. Speaking of their inner spiritual experience with the intent of taking away the hope and comfort that the Christian has found in Jesus Christ. Paul says the reality behind this smokescreen, the reality behind the person who does this is a person full of spiritual pride, a person who demands that others adhere to the legalistic rules that they follow. We can be like this as well. Expecting that all Christians conform to our cultural and traditional expressions. That their conduct imitates those expectations we have set up outside of those demanded by Scripture. We must be very careful that we are not putting expectations upon others that will separate them personally. Or that will separate us as a body from our head, which is Christ. For if we are truly to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, we must hold fast only to Him. Notice what is mentioned here, the reward that Paul mentions here. You know what this reward actually is? It's Christ Himself. He is the treasure that we must not be cheated out of. He is the reward that we must not let any person beguile us out of. He is our source of growth, our source of holiness, our source of unity, rest, and peace. It is He that unites the body. It is He that strengthens and nourishes the body. And we must never lose sight of Him. We must never tire of the gospel. We must never tire of the message of the cross. For we find our only hope, our only source of true joy in Him and His wonderful work of redemption. And Paul urges the Colossians, he urges them to continue in Christ by asking a question in the next three verses. He says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and all will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Very simply, he's saying, if you are dead with Christ from the elemental spirits of the world, if you have died with Christ, if you're found in Him and He has fulfilled these ceremonial laws for you, why do you continue in them? You're acting as if what Christ has done isn't enough. If you're dead with Christ, 
And yet you're striving to gain his love by the keeping of man-made laws. You're adding conditions to the gospel. You're adding rules to the ones already given us by God. Now, it can sometimes be difficult to detect legalism. It's often a matter of the heart. A rule that is based on biblical principles is good to practice, although it may not be a requirement. But there are those rules we bring upon ourselves that find no warrant in Scripture. If we say that we must have a certain amount of misery and that we need to seek after this misery before we can repent and believe the gospel, you are adding works to grace. That is not a command of the Lord. He simply commands us to repent and believe in Him. If you say you must speak in tongues to qualify as a real Christian, you're adding works. To grace. If you say you must wear these clothes or have this hairstyle, say these prescribed words or dress this specific way to be a Christian, to be accepted of God, you are adding works to grace. The Lord requires our hearts. And once He regenerates us and gives us a new heart, His Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. He will put His law in our hearts and shape us and mold us. So not only our heart changes, but our conduct and our demeanor changes as well. Neither God's perfect and good law, and especially not those regulations and rules that we create, These can't change our hearts. If we seek to make ourselves acceptable to God outside of Christ, if we seek to gain God's salvific favor through the commandments and doctrines of men, we will fail most miserably. And if you as a believer are resting upon any commandment, Any doctrine of the flesh for God's favor, I urge you to repent, to return to your only hope, return to the rock of your salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you continue down this road, it does not lead to growth in grace. It does not lead to greater holiness, but it leads to bondage and spiritual decay. Paul says, or Calvin says of Paul's words here, he says, Paul acts admirably in warning us that human traditions are a labyrinth in which consciences are more and more entangled, nay, are snares which from the beginning bind in such a way that at length they strangle. What Paul is doing here He isn't warning the Colossians against observing God's law. But he's warning them against the commandments and doctrines of men. Religious laws that no longer apply. And laws that they created that distract from our foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul isn't telling the Colossians to turn away from God's law. The law that was written on our hearts in creation. The law that was revealed at Mount Sinai. Yes, we cannot earn salvation through keeping it. But this remains as God's good standard of conduct. Used to convict us of our sin and and drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It remains as our guide. Of how we must live out our lives in thankfulness to the Lord for his great work of salvation in our hearts. It remains as a precept, as a guide for all of society. And the Lord also expands upon his law in his word. He gives us precepts of how we must conduct ourselves as Christians. 
That we must speak soberly, that we must dress modestly, that we must speak well of one another, that we must avoid excessive drinking, that we must worship him in the way that he requires, and of course, many more. But we need to recognize that these precepts don't save us. They are rather expressions of a changed heart. They are rules that God's give, that the Lord gives His people, that His people desire to follow. These are rules that should give the Christian joy. These are precepts that we should desire to keep because they honor and glorify our Lord who gave everything for us. These are rules that reflect our Lord. They show us what He is like. And it's our desire to be like our Savior. Before we sing, I I want to point out a, a few differences. Main differences between the legalist and the Christian. And I'm actually also going to include the antinomian in here. Children, antinomian means someone who is against the law. They're against keeping the law. But I think it's important for us to to understand a big distinction between these people. And I think a lot of it has to do with what they think about the law. The legalist and the antinomian, actually, they both hate the law. God's law for them is a hurdle. It's a barrier that needs to be overcome. It condemns them and shows them their imperfections. So they need to win. They need to overcome this law. They need to keep it. He tries, therefore he tries to keep the law. He, he twists it to suit his own preferences. He even adds rules that he, that he thinks he can keep. He uses the law so that he can in his own mind justify himself according to his law. The antinomian, he hates God's law as well. He doesn't like how it makes him feel. He doesn't like what the law shows him about himself. So he decides to ignore it. Or claim that since he's forgiven, the law doesn't apply to him anymore and he doesn't need to keep it. But the Christian, the Christian loves God's law. Yes, it convicts him of sin. But when he's convicted of sin, it it drives him to the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of the law. This law comes from his Lord. It comes from his precious Savior. This law reflects who the Lord is and the Christian desires to be like the Lord. If you look at the law, you you get a, a very good idea of what our Lord is like. Perfect, sinless. The law comes from the Christian's God, from his Savior, who is good and holy. And therefore, he looks at the law as being good and holy. He takes pleasure in keeping the law, not because it justifies him, not because he earns anything because of it, but because he wants to be like his Savior. His heart has been changed so that he... He, he desires goodness. He desires truth. He desires holiness. He wants to keep the law in order to live for his Savior. To glorify and honor his Savior. So which of these three are you? Paul has made it very clear in these verses that the commandments and teachings of men are not the substance of real religion. This is what sets true Christianity apart from all other religions. All other religion depends upon our own effort. With us trying to figure out what our imaginary deities desire us to do to please them. 
The Hindu and the Buddhist, they worship idols, bringing sacrifices to please and pacify ancestors and spirits. The monk torments and deprives his body, praying to saints with the hope that God will hear him and have pity. The Muslim must accomplish the five pillars of his faith and carry out jihad for extra insurance. All of this is done in the hope that somehow in the end they will find approval with God because hopefully their good deeds outweigh their bad. There is no assurance of faith. There is no comfort of a loving and faithful God. But thankfully, Thankfully, this is not the religion of the Bible. This is not the God we serve. He does not leave us to guess what pleases Him, but tells us plainly in His Word. And nothing pleases the Lord more than His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, let each of us be found in him, having our sins washed away with his blood. Let our hearts, not our body, be circumcised. Let us be rooted in Christ, soaking him up, learning from him, and walking in his ways. Paul says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Paul tells us that since we are raised together with Christ, since we are pardoned and the Holy Spirit is working in us, we need not be cheated by the doctrines of men and robbed of our treasure. For our treasure is in heaven. It's he's seated right now at the right hand of God. Paul tells us to seek those things above, to set our minds on things above, and not on things that are on the earth. Christ is there. Christ is above. Christ is in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God. It is Him we seek. It is His benefits, His promises, His teachings, His commandments that we must set our affections on. It is only He that gives true life. It is only He who shows us the way. It is only He that teaches us only true things. And it is only He that gives us right commandments. Paul tells us to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. What does he mean by things on the earth? Well, common commentators agree with this. He's not referring here to the things of everyday life. He's not referring to the duties and responsibilities we have each day. He's not referring to our, our, our vocations our money, our homes. But he's actually referring more to the commandments and doctrines of men here. He's not saying we shouldn't think about the things that is necessary for us to think about. He's not saying we shouldn't think about these things that we are daily responsibilities. But he's saying here is that we shouldn't have our hearts and our minds set on that which proceeds from a fleshly or a worldly mind. He's saying we we shouldn't have an earthly perspective. And this, of course, includes all wickedness. But especially in this case is referring to the pursuit of salvation, the pursuit of godliness by conformity to a set of man-made rules. Paul is saying these type of rules are of the earth and they're useless for our conversion. 
But those things which Christ freely gives, which he gives from his throne in heaven, these are not useless. For it's with these that we, with him, that we find real conversion. It's with him that we find real change. If we look a little bit ahead in chapter 3, Paul tells us what this looks like. It is at Christ's side that we put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. It is Christ's side where our hearts are changed, where we are changed to be more like him. It is when, it is when our eyes are fixed on Jesus that we will have true love, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and forbearance. This is where we will find the peace of God. This is where we will, the peace of God will rule in our hearts and where thankfulness will abound. And these aren't just things that we ought to do. But if we are Truly a Christian, these are actually things we should naturally start doing. These are things that we should be desiring to do. Because we have died and been raised to new life in Christ. We are a new person with a changed will and a heart that is now alive. This is true religion. True religion, true heart change is only found at the side of Jesus. We can invent all manner of rules, all manner of ceremonies, all manner of traditions, even binding them upon other people's consciences. And at the end of your life, it's gained you nothing. It hasn't solved your sin problem. If anything, it will contribute to your damnation. Some of you work with tools a lot. Maybe you're a mechanic and you work with wrenches and sockets. Let's say you have a half-inch bolt that you need to remove without destroying it. You can only use a half-inch wrench or socket to remove that bolt. You have to use the right tool to get the job done. No matter how how hard you try with a screwdriver, a hammer, a pry bar, other sized wrenches, you will not be able to remove the bolt. This is kind of like what it is when we try to use our made-up rules to please God. It doesn't work. It doesn't move the metaphorical bolt even a bit. We can only gain God's favor through Jesus Christ. Consider the mechanic frantically trying to remove the bolt with all manner of tools. He tries a star screwdriver. It doesn't work. He tries a hammer. It doesn't work. He tries a pry bar. It doesn't work. But right beside him the entire time is an instruction manual and a half-inch wrench. And the Lord continually teaches us from his instruction manual. He offers and tells us what we need for complete salvation. Yet we, like the stereotypical guy who refuses to, refuses to read the instruction manual, we want to do it on our own. We think ourselves better and smarter than the one who wrote the manual. And so today, the Lord comes to us, and he tells us, he tells us, he gives us instruction and tells us to set our mind on things above, to find our hope and salvation in his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to never lose sight of him. And therefore, with our eyes fixed on our Savior, looking up to Him in glory, reading and studying His Word, let us go forward by faith, walking in His ways, following 
out of thankfulness, his commandments and precepts. We will be tempted to leave the path, to go down the path of legalism or antinomianism. But let us keep our minds on things above, on Christ and his teaching, on Christ who is our life. And soon, real soon, Christ will appear. And we will be so close to him, we will see him. And we will appear with him in glory. And soon there will no longer be tempted to legalism, tempted to antinomianism. We will no longer be tempted by false teachers. Legalism will no longer seek to rob us of our treasure. For we will forever be perfectly praising and glorifying his name. Amen. Our faithful and merciful Lord in heaven. Great Savior. Lord, we pray that thou would keep us from the pit of legalism. The pit of making up our own rules to somehow justify ourselves. To make ourselves feel better. Lord, that for all of us here, our only hope would, would be in Thee, in what Thou hast done, in who Thou art. Help us to love Thy law. Help us to live truly godly lives where our hearts are changed so that we love Thee perfectly and we love our neighbor as ourself. Help us all to grow in grace and to grow in the joy of salvation, the joy of knowing Thee. Having our eyes continually fixed upon Thee. And we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.